You ready to, uh, to do what he has for us, to get into his word? All right, good. Grab your Bibles, open them up to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll work through verses 12 to 16 this morning. And uh, while you're doing that, I wonder what your response uh, is to the phrase, um, working out. What do, you, what do you think of, what's your response when you hear uh, somebody talk about uh, working out? I would imagine with the group of people that we have here this morning, there would be a number of different responses to that. Maybe you're a little bit more fired up than others are about it. But uh, the idea of, of putting your body through different regimes or, or exercises to achieve uh, maybe for you more strength, more energy, maybe uh, for you it's to live a better lifestyle, uh, seems to be something that has caught the attention of a lot of people in our day and age, isn't it? Right? It seems like everywhere you look, there's a new uh, equipment piece to try. There's a new regime to sign up for. There's a new um, gym popping up down the street. There's a new crazy mud race to run. And it's all gotten a little bit crazy. So why all of a sudden does it seem that we are inundated with this idea of working out? Well, it's not always been like that. Back, you know, several hundred years ago, lives were way more physical than they are now. Right? You had to kind of work for your own food, gather it. You know, we didn't have technology. We didn't have electricity to be able to cook on stoves, things like that. I think that that was where the, uh, the phrase run for your life really became a big deal because normally if you had to run for your life, it was because something was chasing you that could probably do, some, do you some harm. And now we just run for pleasure or not so much for some people, right? Um, but you see, it's different for us today. It's different because now we have things like Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats. Do you know what those, those companies do? They go to a restaurant where you, know, you are supposed to go to sit down to be served and waited on, where they do all the hard work of making meals for you, and then you get to just leave and not have to clean up anymore. These companies actually just bring the food to you. You don't have to even get off your couch to get the food that you're looking for. See, that the push to be physically active really is in response to this kind of convenience mindset that we have in our society today. All of this today, all of this to say, although our society seems more tapped into the idea of working out, as in to do a certain task to not necessarily just physically, but to, to grow or stretch some part of you, today more than ever, it's really an idea that's been around for quite some time. And as we'll see as we dive into the passage this morning, for the followers of Christ, there is a call to specifically work out your salvation with God. Because let's do that now. Let's read God's word this morning together. Pastor Todd's prayed for us already, so let's get right into it. Starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain." So what does it mean to work out my salvation? Well, as we read this morning, this comes right out of the text for us, as in verse 12, Paul says it. And the passage we're in this morning is really coming on the heels of Paul giving the Philippians the motivation for working out the salvation that they have. And that is Jesus Christ, the foundation for the faith we have, is our example of how to live here on earth. Take a look up at verse 8 really quick. Paul gives this to us. He says, And being found in human form... He, being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So you see, Jesus lived in perfect obedience to the Father while he was here on earth. And for the followers of Jesus Christ who have the promise of eternity with God through what he did on the cross, the call for us is to work out our salvation or to live in obedience to what he calls us to as he is the reason that we have the salvation we have in the first place. John 14, 15, Jesus said it plainly, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So as we dive into this idea this morning, we're going to kind of craft a phrase around the idea of living in obedience to Jesus Christ, starting with this first, if I am to help others and myself obey Christ. Okay, so based on verse 12, we can see that this was something that the Philippians were doing as we read that they have always obeyed. Now answer me this, did the Philippians live in perfect obedience? No, no, of course not. We know that's impossible on this side of eternity. But there was an indication that they were living in, in an attitude of obedience. They were committed to the hearing, understanding, applying, and living out of the truths that they were taught. And the call for them is to continue to do that, not only in my presence, Paul says, but much more in my absence. Paul's being with them wasn't the motivation that they had to living in obedience. Who they were with, what company they were in, shouldn't change the pattern of their lives. Paul's presence with them was for sure an encouragement to them, as he would be pointing them to living as Jesus Christ would call them to. You see, no matter who is around us, no matter who we are with, what company we keep, our commitment to living in obedience needs to stay the same. I think that this is difficult for us because far too often we care far too much for the opinions of other people. We put too much weight in what people think about us or say about us. I actually uh, had a chance to, to speak with a friend just this past week who, um, in our conversation, expressed to me just how, how exhausted and tired they were. And uh, when I asked them why, they, they just mentioned to me that they had been up all night tossing and turning, just laboring over something that somebody had said about them. See, they were giving this person, giving what that person had said, too much influence in, 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 in their life. They were allowing it to, to grip their heart and take them away from caring only about what God had thought of them. Have you been there? I know I have, for sure. And our obedience is to Christ, and no one else should have as high a claim or an impact on our lives as he does. You know, it's important for us to understand that in, in helping others and ourselves obey Christ, it's a commitment that happens personally for us as we work that out in our relationship with God, but it's also something that takes place in community for us. See, God gives us, as the body of Christ, the opportunity to help one another in the pursuit of obedience to his son Jesus. This isn't a solo mission for us. Okay? God gave each, each of us each other to help one another along in encouragement and in accountability and challenging each other by how we live our lives. And it's something that we need to take seriously. And we can see just how serious it needs to be by the words that Paul says when he gives us this command. Okay, notice that Paul doesn't say, work on your salvation. He doesn't say, work on your salvation like it's that project that you have in the garage that you tinker on on a Saturday morning. Okay, it's not like that renovation that you've been planning for the last five years, okay? Notice that he doesn't say work at your salvation as if the result of what we're doing here is in question. To work something out is to do it until it's done. See also how we ought to be working this out. As Paul says that we need to be doing this with fear and trembling. There is a, a seriousness and sobriety that this must be done with. 
The thought of living in, in disobedience to God should cause us to fear. We should be afraid of facing the judgment seat of God from a place of disobedience. And you see, it's not just enough for us to ride the coattails of past obedience with this. This needs to be a commitment we make every single day as we strive to live like Jesus Christ. So with that challenge in our minds, let's see how this plays out practically for us. First, if I'm to obey Christ, my aim must be to please God. So in understanding our responsibility in all this, it might be easy for us to be discouraged or disheartened at the task before us this morning because we understand that we are sinful people and there will be times when we stumble and fail at doing this. Okay, but thankfully, God doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves as even though there is a responsibility on our part to live in obedience, see that in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in saying this, Paul kind of sets up this paradox between the human responsibility that we have to this commitment and, and the divine sovereignty that God has in terms of what he will do. And it can beg the question for us, so am, am I supposed to be working hard at living out my salvation in, in obedience to God, or is he the one making all this happen? Well, you see, it's actually both. The Scottish theologian uh, John Murray actually summed it up really well in this way. It's on the screen. God's working in us is not suspended because we work nor are working suspended because God works. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation as if God did his part and we did ours so that the conjunction or coordination of both produced the required result. God works and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. All working out of our salvation on our part is the effect of God working in us. We have here not only the explanation of all acceptable activity on our part, but we also have the incentive to our willing and working. The more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power is of God. See, God meets us where we are when we're first saved. If you've received the free gift of salvation that God offers you, at some point in time, you were gripped with the realization that you are a sinner in need of a savior. See, and the only way for that to happen is through the loving plan that God put in place through his son. Now that you have that, you are living with the promise of eternity that comes with that. And our lives will need to be spent working this out with God, which is a task that we know we will fall short of if we try to do in our own strength. Okay, but God meets us again in that he will give us all of the grace, mercy, strength, and ability to do what he has for us to do. And all that we do, all of this is for his pleasure. So we ought to live our lives knowing all that God has done for us and is doing for us. And that should motivate us to obey the example we have in his son, Jesus. Again, we know that this is so often difficult for us, isn't it? Because it is our natural born tendency to please who? Ourselves. And this was a point that was made um, especially real for me as I was uh, preparing this message um, this past week, going through actually this point exactly. Um, Emily, my wife, was, she, was, uh, she was cleaning up the apartment. I was being absolutely no help at all. And, uh, and when she had finished, she asked me to just make her a snack. She'd been working hard, so of course that's no problem. When I went into the pantry, reached in to, to grab her what she wanted me to make, and when I did it, I knocked a box of granola bars on the ground. Collective gasp goes through everybody, right? Because when I did it, my attitude went sour. Why? 
Why? Because it's, it's, it, would, it was like for me that the extra two seconds that it was going to take for me to reach down and pick up the box and put it back on the shelf made the whole entire task so inconvenient. <laughs> Seriously? So here I am as called to serve my wife in a way that honors God, and I have a, a terrible attitude in doing it because I thought that I was inconvenienced. Sure enough, I, I make the food, come back to my desk, sit down, only to read verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. <laughs> okay? Don't you just love it when God smacks you right upside the head with conviction sometimes? Honestly, it's, some people say God works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it's not so mysterious. <laughs> you see, God isn't interested in obedience done begrudgingly. He wants your actions for sure, but he is just as, if not more, interested in where your heart is at when you're doing it. Now, it's no coincidence here that Paul is using the same wording in this verse as was used to describe the Israelites in Exodus 16. Remember the story when God took them out of, of slavery in Egypt into exile in the wilderness, and, and they grumbled and complained against God? God gave them a task. Sure, it was difficult, but instead of powering through in obedience to the God who had done so much for them already, they chose to be wrapped up in what their circumstances were. They whined and complained about what they didn't have or that they were made uncomfortable at this or that this whole thing was inconvenient. Sound familiar to you? This is an example used to caution us against the temptation we all have to please our sinful flesh that we are to war against every day. If we are to truly please God, then every part of our lives needs to be focused on obedience done with an attitude of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. So every single one of us needs to ask the question, in what areas of my life am I still trying to please myself? Maybe for you, grumbling and complaining when you don't get your way is your thing. Maybe your quick fuse is causing you to sever relationships. Maybe you're really quick to allow your attitude to dictate how you respond to people. Maybe you're still trying to compare yourself to others, what they have, where they are in your life, or they're in, the, in their, their life. Maybe you have that hidden sin, that addiction that's continuing to consume you as you continue to hide it and let it destroy you. Maybe you're gripping onto your money so tightly and allowing it to rule over you. Whatever the case may be, we all have things in our lives that we are doing or attitudes that we aren't letting go of because we, in our sinfulness, long to please ourselves. But if we remind ourselves every day of all that God has done for us, we will quickly see that we have nothing that is worthy of bringing pleasure to in our lives and realize that it should all belong to God. If we live like this today, it's one of the greatest ways that we can bear witness to the fact that God is working in us and we are working out our salvation. To keep a God-pleasing mindset to our pursuit of obedience will impact our attitudes as God promises joy and fulfillment to the fullest when we focus our lives on pleasing him first. And you see, as other people see that, it'll be enticing to those who don't have it. So if I want to help others and, and myself obey Christ, my aim needs to be pleasing God to do just that in order to impact the world around me. See, living lives focused on pleasing God will cause us to stand out. 
Because when we live in obedience, it, it changes who we are and what we do. And our goal in obedience is to, to please God by becoming more like Jesus, who is our perfect example. And the result of us doing that is what it says in verse 15. Take a look down. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, the, the goal that Paul is setting for the Philippians is to be, live in the pursuit of their be obedience is to become more like Jesus Christ. And for us as children of God, we are to work so as to become blameless and innocent without blemish. And we are to have a complete Christ-like character. We are called to be the standard of how to live as God commands to a world who is quickly doing away with this. So I don't, honestly, I don't think any of us need any examples of how crooked and twisted a generation we live in. There seems to be increasing levels of sinfulness around every corner. But the great thing about all of that is that it doesn't surprise God. You see, it was, it was crooked and twisted back in, in the time that Paul, that Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians, but it was even crooked and twisted earlier on than that, as this verse again echoes Deuteronomy 32.5, when again they're describing the Israelites. See, we are to be the example of Christ here on earth. Who we are and what we do will bear witness to what we claim to believe. So our character and our conduct needs to line up with the example left for us in Jesus Christ. I love what 2 Corinthians 2.15 has to say about that. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I love the imagery in this verse because, you know, there are some things that you know just by the smell, don't you? Right? If you love something and you get a whiff of it, you know exactly what it is and you're going to run to that thing, aren't you? Right? Whereas if you, know, if you don't love something so much and you smell it, you're going to run the other way. If you drive up to Wasaga Beach this summer, you know, windows down, tunes cranked because you're enjoying the warm weather, you're going to drive by some farmland that you're going to know is farmland without even having to see it, right? right? Pungent is the word I would to describe what's going on there. But in the same way, if you were to wake up on a Saturday morning and somebody is cooking bacon, you're going to know what it is and you're going to know that it is good, right? You're going to run downstairs to that. Vegans and vegetarians, I understand that may have been a bad example. I'm sorry. <laughs> but in the same way, how we live in this day and age will garner a response to those who we encounter. This idea of the need for us to live in obedience is so that we can be examples of the life and the love that comes from the salvation of God. If we are living in obedience, we will stand in such sharp contrast to everything that the world preaches that, of course, people will be drawn to see what we're all about. The fact of the matter is that people are watching. People are watching how you talk about your boss when he, they are not around. People are watching to see how you talk about your husband or your wife or your parents or your in-laws. <laughs> People will notice how your kids respond to you or how you respond to your kids. People will notice how you are living your life when things are great and God is blessing you and you're living in obedience and things are awesome. But they will also take notice in the middle of the deepest trial and the difficult times. And how we are living should be an example to those people 
for the goodness and grace that we've been given through Jesus Christ. Because there are so many people in our city, but your coworkers, your neighbors, our family, our friends that are all a blink of an eye away from standing before the judgment seat of God. So many that are wandering in the darkness of their own passions and fleshly desires, and, and we are to be the shining lights that lead them back to the one who can bring them into eternal light. We are a part of that. As the children of God, we are to shine for the truth of the gospel in a world that so desperately needs it because making an impact on the lives of those around us is what we were put on this earth to do. To be pointing others to the one who can save them eternally. And this is where the need for living of a life of obedience goes so far beyond just us. To live this out in our lives can have eternal implications for those around us who need the truth. And it just reaffirms to us how seriously we need to be taking this task. And if we are to make an impact on the world around us, it's important to make sure that our foundation is firmly set on the things of God. And that happens by grounding myself in the word. By grounding myself in the word, which is the guide in all areas of obedience to Christ and living this out. And we see just how we need to be getting into it by what it says in verse 16. Look down to that, the first part. Holding fast to the word of life. This picture of, of holding fast is to grab on securely and to not let go. And when I was, when I was looking at this idea, I actually came across a, a piece of equipment that was used in traditional uh, woodworking and blacksmithing. There's a picture of it up here. It's actually called a hold fast. There it is. And so it was kind of used as a modern-day clamp in that they would take that one end and, and put it into preset holes in the workbench, and the other end would hold a piece of wood or metal or whatever was being worked on in place. So it would be held fast to the bench so that what needed to be done on it, the work that needed to happen in it, would be easily and accurately done. So the necessity of God's word for the Christ follower is very similar. To be held fast to the word is to, to grab onto it, to hear what it has to say, and then to live it out. And see, the importance of this practice for us is that just like the wood that was held to the bench, we would not be shifted, we would not be moved or knocked away from what we believe and know is true. Because in this word that we hold in our hands is new life, is wisdom, is power, is strength. The words we have in this book are where we see or are where we learn how to live in obedience and how we need to be conducting ourselves in the world. So giving it the time that it needs is crucial in our lives as we live to seek to live after obedience and impact those around us. And what we read in this book demands a response. Every time we open this up to stare into the very face of the God who gave us these words, you need to make a decision with what you're going to do with it. And we have a choice to respond in obedience and have our lives changed or to disobey and continue to live in our flesh. And this morning, what we've seen already from God's word is beckoning us to respond. Maybe for you, you don't have a salvation to work out yet. Maybe you're here and you are, are still living in complete disobedience away from the Lord. Well, see, the word of God has come to you today and you have a choice in this moment. Will you turn to it, to the truths found in it, 
to the promise of eternal life that comes from God that he is offering to you right now? Or will you continue to live in separation from him? The choice is yours this morning. And then for the followers of Christ, we have a choice too, don't we? So the working out of our salvation is a process. It's a, it's a lifelong endeavor, and it's one that, that takes commitment on ourselves or by ourselves to obey and live out what we read in this book. And we know that there will be times when we stumble and fall. We know that we can't do this perfectly. But in those times, will you choose to get back to what the Word of God says, to live in it, to hold fast to it, to grab onto it, and to live it out in your life? And this takes discipline. This isn't something that we're just going to get good at sustaining over a long period of time like that. For you, there may be practical steps that you need to take starting today to make sure that this becomes a thing in your life. What do you need to do to make sure that you begin the process of holding fast to the word so that you can live in obedience today? Maybe for you, it means that you get into God's word before you grab your phone in the morning. Maybe it means that you listen to it on the way to work, or maybe for you, the best way to do this would be to open up God's word on your lunch break. Hey, what a, what a way to stand out. What a way to begin the process of making an impact on people's lives if they ask you, hey, what are you doing? Okay, whatever the case may be, it's different for all of us. What are the things that you need to be doing practically today to make this a pattern, a discipline in your life because understanding these words and committing to them will move us to greater obedience. It will move us to greater pleasure given to God, a greater impact on those around us. So if we are to help others and ourselves obey Christ, our aim must be to please God, to impact the world around us by founding ourselves on the word, and then finally this, and living my life with purpose. Every single person struggles with this idea of purpose at some point in time in your life. Maybe for you, the question of, uh, what am I doing here? Is what brought you to this place this morning. Maybe it's what brought you to the Lord in the first place. Well, we see from this verse again that Paul, Paul knew his purpose. Take a look at the back half of verse 16. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You see, all that Paul did was in view of the day of Christ, which is just another way of, of saying the day that Jesus returns or the day that he calls us home. Everything that Paul did was with the mindset that Jesus is coming back one day, and on that day, he will get to see him face to face as he is brought into eternity into the presence of God. That is why he lived on mission for Jesus. That is why he planted the church at Philippi. That is why he wrote this letter. Because he was given a charge here on earth, as all of us have, to, like Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. You know, what he says in this verse isn't, isn't prideful or arrogant at all. What, it, what, he's, he's show, what we're seeing here is that he was just so concerned that if he wasn't sold out, all in for the work that Jesus had given him to do with the people he'd been given to minister to, that, if he, that he wouldn't have an impact on these people's lives. And to him, that would mean that all that he did was in vain. See, his desire was to bring glory to God by what he did because he knew that anything good that came from the work that he did wasn't from anything good inside of him. It was, it was all Christ's work in his life. It was all Christ working through him 
So to not do all that he possibly could to help others along in their obedience, to win people to Christ by how he lived and what he taught, to not see specifically these Philippians working this out in their lives, living by this would mean that all he did was for naught. See, he had a heartfelt desire that, again, a longing that one day he would be able to stand side by side with these people God had given him to minister to in eternity. That was the longing of his heart. See, and we too need to keep eternity in our minds when it comes to living this out, to living our lives with purpose, because one day we will fully realize the promise that we've been given and we will stand before the Lord in all of his glory. And on that day, just like Paul, it should be the longing of our hearts, the desire to take all that God has done in us, all the work that we have done up until this point, all the people that we've impacted for his, for his glory and lay it down at his feet in the utmost glory to him possible because it all belongs to him. You see, just like, uh, just like Paul, God has given us people to minister to while we're here. Each and every single one of us has a, a circle of influence, a group of people that we are a part of. And God has given us those people to impact for his glory. And we should be living to make an impact on those people's eternal destinations and to work so that one day we too can stand beside those people in the presence of the Lord. I'm sure that each and every single one of us right now are thinking of the people in our lives that don't yet know the Lord. And just think about how awesome it would be to be able to have them sitting next to you. To be able to one day, in the day of Christ, stand with them to give glory to God. See, that is why we work out our salvation. So we can bring pleasure to God while we are here so that others too can experience the promise that we have. Living vertically with heaven foremost in our minds should impact how we act horizontally in this world. Which means we are moving to a place of greater and greater obedience to Jesus by living to please God, by living that out in the world around us to make an impact on people who desperately need it by living, committing to the word that God gave us as the guide for living life here on earth and all while working towards eternity, to being with God forever, and to bring him all the glory that he is due. So the question then as we close is, where does that leave you this morning? Where does that leave you? Do you need to begin the process of working out your salvation by receiving the salvation that God offers you this morning? Maybe as we've talked about already, you are living in disobedience from God. Well, God stands ready to pour out blessing in your life, not the least of which is, is the promise of eternity with him. All you need to do is accept that this morning. Go to him for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the free gift of salvation that he offers. You can do that. You can do that today. Maybe for you, you've been convicted this morning of, of some things that, that aren't really lining up with, with what God calls us to and how he calls us to live. Maybe for you, you need to get back in line with him and what his word says to live in obedience to him. Maybe for you this morning, 
Um, you're thinking of people that you don't, or that you know that are in your life that you aren't living to make an impact for. Have you been convicted of those people that you know that need to see this in you as you live it out? Hope that you can commit to that this morning, commit to living that out. Maybe for you, as you are here, this has been an encouragement for you. You are living in obedience as best you can. You are committing to the, the word of God and what it has for you in this life. You're founded on it. You're living so as to make an impact in the people around you. Praise God for that. Prayer and hope is that you would continue to do so. Wherever you are this morning, the call of God in all of our lives is to work out our salvation. So make that personal. If I am to help others and myself obey Christ, my aim must be to please God in order to impact the world around me by grounding myself in the word and living my life with purpose. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for who you are, the great love and care, the grace and mercy you showed us in sending your son Jesus to live his life on earth in perfect obedience and to die on a cross for us so that we can experience the promise of eternal life. I pray that in knowing that, we would be moving to a place of greater obedience in our lives as as Jesus did, as Jesus was the example for us in that. God, I pray for each and every single one of us that we would be committed to living this out so that we can, for your glory, change hearts and lives here on earth as we know that you will give us all the strength and the ability to do so. So, Father, I pray that you would go before us in that. Pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us Lord, we would do this all for your glory. It's in the strong name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.